0: Hello, Michelle.
1: Hi. How's it going? Good.
0: I was trying to say each other's names. Oh, sorry.
1: Hi, Megan. Hi, Michelle. This is Prosecco Theory.
0: We've gotten feedback before from people that we should really be introducing ourselves in the name of the podcast on every episode
1: in case it's someone's first time. That's true. And they're right. We should do that. And sometimes we do it. And sometimes we forget. (laughs) We're on our shit today. That's right. Anything
0: exciting to share? Well, in thinking about this episode today i can't get that rem song out of my head it's the it's end the
1: end of the world as we know it exactly
0: and i don't feel fine about it no there's a lot of shit going wrong i think we should just lay it out let's dive in let's divert from our typical rambling yeah. of like here's a random story and here's a random story Well, today's not random.
1: No fucking random. Talking about doomsday and doomsday preppers. And prophecies. I don't remember what led to this, but it's, it's been in the note in my phone, like as possible topic ideas for a while. Yeah. And then you threw it out there the other day and I was like, oh my God, let's do that. Hell yeah.
0: So let's do it. I think maybe one of the reasons that we haven't done it before is because it feels close to cults, which we've done, but it's not exactly mm. the same. I mean, there are definitely cults that are like, join our cult and do all the things because the end of the world is coming and drink mm-hmm. all our Kool-Aid and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. flavor Whatever. <laughs> but... No thanks, Jim. This is a little bit different, I feel like, because when I think of doomsday preppers, I think of people that are functioning in society, mostly, you know, holding down jobs, gathering with friends, etc. But they're also stockpiling beans and toilet paper.
1: (laughs) And chickens, as it turns out,
0: and building bunkers.
1: I hate to just
0: dive into the meat of one of our stories, but can you please set the tone with the
1: chicken and the egg story?
0: (laughs) Okay, well, hold on. That's a no. Uh.
1: I can. So I do have a little information here on Nostradamus, which I feel like he is the person that most people think of when they think of like someone predicting the end of the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there are lots and lots and lots of other examples of people doing that. And Nostradamus, according to him, the
0: world's going to end in the year 3797. right? Right. That works for me. Yeah.
1: That's fine. I won't be around. No. And we can get into him in a minute, but I will start with the chicken. Aw, thanks for indulging me. Of course. The prophet hen of Leeds. (laughs) It already sounds so legit. Yeah. I'm just going to read this. It is from an article called Ten Failed Doomsday Predictions. Spoiler. (laughs) Right. Yeah. it, It didn't come true. For Britannica. In 1806, a domesticated hen in Leeds, England appeared to lay eggs inscribed with the message, Christ is coming. Great numbers of people reportedly visited the hen and began to despair of the coming judgment day. It was soon discovered, however, that the eggs were not, in fact, prophetic messages, but the work of their owner, who had been writing on the eggs in corrosive ink and reinserting them into the poor hen's body. He assaulted those hens. What an asshole. Those poor
0: things. That is real fucked up. How did he gain from that? Attention? Money? Money? Well, yeah, it's the same thing as the liars last week, right? Yeah. People just want attention. It's true. He was modifying the eggs, shoving them back up in the hens. I think just the one hen. Oh. Poor girl. Okay. <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, he could have had them on circulation, depending on who showed up that day. That's true. Because if it worked with one hen, probably worked with others.
1: Yeah. What if he had a whole flock of hen- Is that what you call them? Probably not. A flock? A murder of hens. Is-
0: <laughs> That's crows. <laughs> I know um what is a group of hens let's
1: see hold on what is a group of hens called a brood i did know that a i forgot brood.
0: i didn't know that a brood i can see it though they're sitting there brooding about christ's coming <laughs> and how much their butt hurts
1: yeah <laughs> it's probably not their butt i don't, I don't know. know a whole lot about chicken anatomy
0: moving <laughs> <Anyway, laughs> on back to nostradamus <laughs> can i ask you a question about him well we were really close so go ahead <laughs> He was born in 1503. Uh-huh. Here's what I don't understand, because I only read an article. I have not read The Prophecies, which was his famous book that was published in 1555. Yes. The article that you sent me so
1: history.com, so reputable.
0: Yes. He predicted the French Revolution, the rise of Adolf Hitler, the September 11th attacks, and the COVID pandemic. Yeah. Uh, What? I have to imagine there was like a generous dose of literary interpretation there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there were other things as well, the development of the atomic bomb and the assassination of JFK. Uh, And those were all like since his death, things he'd written about that quote came true later on, right? During his lifetime, he met a group of monks and predicted that one of them would become pope and he did years later. And he told a royal family of a young lion who would overcome an older one on the field of battle. The young lion would pierce the eye of the older one and he would die a cruel death. Nostradamus warned the king he should avoid ceremonial jousting. Three years later, when King Henry was 41 years old, he died in a jousting match when a lance from the opponent pierced the king's visor and entered his head from the eye deep into his brain. So that did come true. He claimed to have based all these published predictions on what he called judicial astrology, which is apparently the art of forecasting future events by calculation of the planets and stellar bodies in relationship to the Earth. Now, you know, I am skeptical about astrology to begin with. Right. We have a whole episode on that. Yes, we do. What I see as similar here, I was thinking of like, is it like a horoscope where you can read into it kind of whatever you want? And it turns out, it says, Nostradamus's popularity seems to be due in part to the fact that the vagueness of his writings and their lack of specific dates make it easy to selectively quote them after any major dramatic events and retrospectively claim them as true.
0: Okay, that answers my question. So I was going to say, there weren't commercial airliners when he was writing this book, so how would he predict September 11th? Yeah, there weren't
1: skyscrapers either. Mm -hmm. Anyway. When you think about people besides Nostradamus the big the world's going to end on such and such date. What do you think of the Mayan calendar people? Exactly. Yeah, it didn't work out. (laughs) Turns out we're still here. Yeah, the actual Mayan calendar, which had tracked time continuously from over 5100 years before Mm -hmm. that date, the calendar ended on December 21st, 2012. That's right. Apparently, there were lots of different scenarios in which the world was going to end depending on who you asked. Mm -hmm. I know there was a imaginary planet involved in one of them um <laughs> what was it called nibiru i don't know massive tidal catastrophes realignment of the earth's access which we'll get into a little later okay so is the end of the calendar the end of the world yeah again that was wrong who
0: were the people that are notable that gave a specific date and then when that day came and went they were like whoops it's actually this other date. I miscalculated. And then those days came and went, uh-huh. and
1: it never happened. Yeah. I just handed Megan the giant Wikipedia entry for a list of dates predicted for apocalyptic events. And I have in front of me a very pared down version because I pulled a few that I wanted to remember. But there are several people in there who you will see multiple times. Jim Jones. We've talked about him before. Indeed. I've got him on my little short list here. Charles Manson is shortly thereafter. Yep. Yeah. Herbert Armstrong. I believe he had several of them.
0: He had three revised dates after his 1936 and 1943 predictions failed to come true.
1: What I want to know is if you're somebody that thought, oh, my God, this guy knows what's happening. This is going to happen. And the prediction does not come true. Why do you believe his next prediction? Especially why do you believe the third prediction?
0: You know, Well, I have to imagine that in between one and three. He loses some people. Yeah, maybe. My only speculation is that people have so committed themselves to believing this person that it's almost like an ego thing. Or maybe if it's like a cult, they've given up everything, you know, their family, their belongings. And so they have nothing left if they choose to just
1: walk away from this. Pat Robertson, who had the 700 Club TV show. Right. You know. He multiple times predicted the end of the world on his show that didn't happen. I love how under January 1st,
0: 2000, it lists Mm -hmm. a few people and then it just says... Various. (laughs)
1: Well, yeah, because that was Y2K. Everybody thought that all the systems are going to come crashing down and cause eternal chaos and we're all going to kill each other, basically.
0: Remember how we didn't used to have computers and stuff
1: and the world operated normally? Yeah, (laughs) but everybody was so reliant on them at that point that all the data would be lost and it would be pandemonium or whatever. Wow. Marshall Applewhite with the Heaven's Gate.
0: Here's a guy that I
1: remember reading
0: about Harold Camping.
1: Oh, yeah. He had several of them as well. Right. So
0: his original prediction didn't come true. So he revised his prediction and said a spiritual judgment took place and that both the physical rapture and the end of the world would occur on October 21st, 2011.
1: Didn't happen. I wonder what Harold's doing now. (laughs) Hopefully he's hiding in shame somewhere. (laughs) This entry on Wikipedia starts with a little bit of writing about why people might do all this, though there has been little research actually done on why people make apocalyptic predictions. It says, historically, it has been done for reasons such as diverting attention from actual crises like poverty and war, for pushing political agendas and for promoting hatred of certain groups. And according to psychologists, possible explanations for why people might believe in modern apocalyptic predictions include mentally reducing the actual danger in the world to a single indefinable definable source, an innate human fascination with fear, personality traits of paranoia and powerlessness, and a modern romanticism involved with end times due to its portrayal in contemporary fiction. Hmm. Mm-hmm. This is kind
0: of interesting, too. This has also got future predictions. Yeah. So like dates that haven't come yet. One of them is from Heise von Forster, and it says he wrote an article in 1960. He's a scientist and predicted a date for the end of humanity due to overpopulation to be November 13th, 2026.
1: Yeah, that's coming up.
0: If the world is not overpopulated now, I'm pretty sure it won't be in three years
1: from now. Probably not. Yeah, but we're on our way, though. Yeah, a lot of the future ones are way out in the future, and they have to do with changing orbits of planets over time and with climate change. So do you think it's possible that with the pandemic...
0: So many people dying that they were just overwhelmed. I mean, think about Italy and New York Mm -hmm. and places where they were just literally stacking bodies because they couldn't keep up. I wonder how much that reduced the total population of the world. I mean, maybe it's like one percent or something. Yeah, but I'm curious if there's been any research done on that. It's probably too soon. Yeah,
1: I don't know. But I mean, that's kind of what the pattern of the world does, right? Like it, it's going to introduce something to the herd a little bit because we are overpopulated. So just so you know, Mm -hmm. so
0: you can prepare your future generations Mm -hmm. in about 300,000 years. (laughs) I'm ready. WR 104, a triple star is supposed to explode in a supernova and it can produce a gamma ray burst that could pose a threat to life on earth. So we might want to make sure that I'll your start
1: building my bunker now 17th great grandchild <laughs> 300,000 years. I think it's seventeen <laughs> I'm really hitting it out of the park with my math today. I wanted to read this other little bit from the Wikipedia entry here. It says polls conducted in 2012 across 20 countries found over 14% of people believe the world will end in their lifetime, with percentages ranging from 6% of people in France to 22% in the U.S. and Turkey. That's high. That's a lot. (laughs) That is a lot. Belief in the apocalypse is observed to be most prevalent in people with lower rates of education, lower household incomes, and those under the age of
0: 35. I find that to be a high number, But if the question was within the next 100 years, that wouldn't have surprised me. Because unless somebody is able to start reversing the effects of climate change, or we avoid another major
1: pandemic, I just don't know, we're pretty vulnerable. So absolutely. So in terms of how the world could end, people have some differing views on that. The general public believed from the same study, the likeliest cause would be nuclear war, while experts thought it would be artificial intelligence. So stop making those fucking AI pictures of yourself, people. <laughs> Don't feed the whatever. <laughs> well, that was one
0: interesting component of the reading on the doomsday prepping is that people were saying that they would learn that somebody they knew was a doomsday prepper. And so were they but they were prepping for different kinds of Mm -hmm. doomsday. There's a variety of reasons, like you just said, that people think that the world might end. And so that could impact how people prepare there may be a higher focus on weapons in one circumstance and there may be a higher focus on food in another
1: circumstance. Right. Or like it says here, only 3% of Britons thought the end of the world would be caused by the last judgment compared to 16% of Americans. So like, what do they need to prep for?
0: Yeah, if it's judgment
1: day, they just they're gone. Right. They don't need anything, right? But these people might need some weapons. Between 1% and 3% of people from both of those countries said that the apocalypse would be caused by zombies or alien invasion. So they probably want some weapons. They've watched a lot of The Walking Dead. Yeah, they have.
0: <laughs> Something that was interesting I thought about when I was reading about the doomsday preppers, which, by the way, I'll just read a definition from one of the articles mm-hmm. of what a doomsday prepper is. People who take it into their own hands to prepare for the survival of their group or family in the face of a predicted life-threatening catastrophic event. Yes. Somebody in one of these articles was comparing it to like Fight Club, right? Yeah. First rule of Fight Club, you don't talk about Fight Club. Yeah, you have to be secretive about it. Right, because if you are not and people are aware that you have all these stockpiled resources, Mm -hmm. then when they exhaust their own resources, they're going to come after yours, Yeah, So you have to keep your bunker and your stockpile a secret.
1: Yeah, it says pity can be your weakest link.
0: It's like hoarding,
1: basically, is what they said. Totally. And I think that there's a line, it might be a fine line, but there's a line between hoarders and doomsday prep, because you're not talking about just stocking up on all the toilet paper to last for two years or whatever. Well, also, (laughs) like, how do you
0: determine how many years you need food and things for? I wonder... I mean... (laughs) I have no idea. There was that one guy who he and his wife were stocking up, and I can't remember which end of the world cause they thought was going to happen. The guy who had 80 barrels, and in each barrel, there was enough food to feed, like, how many people for four months? It was like... Jesus. A hundred people for four months or something like that. And then his wife got terminally ill, and I think he ended up losing his wife. And then he also ended up losing his home. Oh, God. And because he had all this stuff and it was all just going to get trashed or go bad or whatever, there was a natural disaster, like a hurricane or something. And he sent all 80 of those barrels of oh. food and supplies to the people that were victims of That's this natural incredible. disaster. And he was able to kind of let it go, partially, I'm sure, because it was like, well, it's gonna, all going to get trashed or, you know. How do you store 80 barrels of this stuff when <laughs> you don't have a house? But while it was still his and in his possession, he recognized that that was something good that could be done. That's incredible. So, yeah. I like a hoarder, a true hoarder, would probably not be able to let that stuff no, go. No, so absolutely easily not. Because there's more of an emotional attachment.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you can think about like the people who do the extreme couponing and end up with like this room full of, you know, 50 gallons of detergent. You know, if you're
0: a doomsday prepper, you need to partner up with an extreme. Coupon. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need yeah. to form an alliance there. I will feed your couponing sickness (laughs) if you stockpile my bunker. And then when the world ends, you can come
1: be in the bunker. That's right. (laughs) You got to have a little tit for tat. That same article that was talking about, you don't talk about Fight Club. It's called The Six Things I Learned from Doomsday Prepping. And it's this couple who they were actually asked to write, I believe, a script script or, or produce a documentary or something that was related to the show Doomsday Preppers, which I do have some info on here as well. I've well, never watched that show. I haven't either. I feel like we need to
0: watch at least one episode, maybe yeah, <laughs> we're maybe, done with this. Maybe we should have done that before. Yeah, but you know maybe, whatever.
1: whatever. I read a Vice article about but the show. I, so <laughs> I didn't know it existed until we were prepping. Right. Anyway, this guy was saying there's a mindset that he calls apocalypse swapping. And he said, one of the strangest things about prepping is that it can give you a feeling of being really special. You hold secret knowledge that the unenlightened masses don't. Mm -hmm. Kind of reeks of conspiracy theory shit, right? Mm -hmm. Such a mindset with its sense of moral superiority and its secret conspiracy ethos can be highly addictive and has its parallels with religious cult mindset. And remember, this is a guy who's in that world. Sure. He and his wife are preppers. There is a good deal of fantastical vanity involved in thinking of yourself as, quote, the only survivors and a fair amount of apocalyptic revenge fantasy in this, too. In apocalypse swapping, a prepper who believed, say, in nuclear war shifts their believed in apocalypse to an entirely different one, say, a meteor strike, after their belief in the impending nuclear war collapses. So normally, a person who might believe in impending nuclear war would cease to believe in the end of the world after their fear of that war diminished. However, the apocalypse addict simply moves to another apocalypse so they can keep their prepper behaviors and belief in the end of civilization intact. Hm. Not crazy? Yeah, that is crazy. It's like there's all these different biases they talk about in psychology and I can't remember which one this refers to, but it's easier to get someone to believe something that's false than it is to get them to believe that the thing they believe is false. Right. To actually have somebody say, you're right, I was wrong about that, is way fucking harder than getting them to believe in some bullshit. Hmm. And I know there's something called anchoring bias, like the first thing you believe right. is going to be the thing you believe most.
0: So. And you just dig into that. And- then you
1: get your confirmation bias right. and all of those other ones. Yeah. Right. It's fucking fascinating.
0: So <laughs> I was just doing a little looking while we're talking here and... First of all, if you Google incredible bunkers. Oh, I bet there's some crazy ones. You could see these bunkers that basically people that are billionaires or super rich have built. They're so ridiculous. I mean, they're intended to be, you know, survival, but they have like pools and movie theaters and shit like that. But then I also found this website that has amazing abandoned bunkers for sale. They're not like super fancy, but they're places that you can buy that are like, for example, a lot of them are decommissioned missile silos. Oh wow! A lot of those are in Kansas
1: for some reason. (laughs) And then there's I think they probably used flat, sparse land like that for missile silos.
0: And then there's some in Ohio, and there's some in the UK. No, there's a desert one in California. I mean, these ones they are not. I mean, I'd probably go into one of these to survive. Mm-hmm. For like a short period of time, and then after that, I don't know. I there they look like jail cells almost. I don't think I would want to live
1: in one. Not like the one from *Blast from the Past*. No, (laughs) you remember that? Yes. Brendan Fraser and Christopher Walken. Who was the mom? I don't remember. It had like turf and flamingos, and it was all bright and cheery.
0: Speaking of Brendan Fraser, everybody should watch *The
1: Whale*. Yeah, it's a good movie. So let's talk about that show for a minute. Because it's had this surge in popularity. And part of that, I think, is because of the world the last few years. Like, we all, to some extent, became hoarders at the beginning of lockdown. Right. Everyone's fucking fighting over toilet paper in the aisles. True. And I I think maybe people became a lot less
0: judgmental of Mm -hmm. those that were prepping. Like, well, shit. Do I need to suck up to these friends of mine that I
1: know are <laughs> doing Yeah. And to some extent, we all do that anyway. Like nobody has just enough of what they need in their house. You always have a little bit extra so you've got backup. You're not only buying one roll of toilet paper at a time. Right. You know, well, just the food for this meal and not the next one.
0: Yeah, that's rare. That usually means like you're
1: cooking something special. You yeah. Know? Like- we all plan to some extent. These people are just taking it quite a bit farther. Right. The show is a National Geographic show. This is a Vice article. It says, at its heart, it's a program about solving problems through architecture and design, working out who you want to be and how you want to live, but in a world gone feral. Oof. Yeah. A testament to how the twin traits of design genius and psychopathology seem to lurk within every decent prepper. The show is populated by men. It's always men. That's in the article. I'm not adding that who spend their lives fantasizing about the end of the world as we know it. For them, the collapse of human civilization would be the sweetest justification, unless and until the very worst happens, their preparations are for nothing.
0: I mentioned before on a different episode how much I really like that movie Children of Men. Mm -hmm. And that calls to mind for me. It's set in London, I think, And they're being incredibly meticulous about like people crossing the border and trying to get into their society because there's all this propaganda about how they're the only society that hasn't collapsed. And even though it's obviously like very different, there's quite a different feel, strong military presence, all that, Mm -hmm. they're basically like just hanging on because in that movie, What happens is that women stop having babies. And so there's no new children being born. So everybody knows that whoever is on the planet, that's it. We're going to die out with these people that are alive today. Yeah, But that's really interesting, too, because in the movie, Clive Owen, who I I think is on my list. She just grabbed her chest.
1: (laughs) He's on my list. She was having some palpitations. (sighs) Anyway sorry, I got distracted for a minute. <laughs> he has
0: a job and a home and visits his parents who are kind of off the grid. But why would you want to continue to work like an eight to five if you knew that? I don't know. It's just I mean, really
1: interesting. In that case, it's a little different because it's not like we're all going to die on this day. It's just nothing's going to come after us. So you still have a life to live, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Do you want to spend it at like a nine to five job, though? I mean, I don't want to spend this life at a nine to five <laughs> job, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if my life's going to go on until it doesn't, and I'm not worried about a particular thing that's going to end it, it's not different. It's just that there's nothing after that. But I'm not going to know if there's anything after my life anyway, because I'll be gone. Yeah, You know what I mean? True. I don't know. And it's
0: not like you'd be in a situation to like, well, I'm going to travel and I'm going to do all these things because the world is kind of an unsafe place because everyone's becoming unhinged. Yeah,
1: it's fucking dystopian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of unhinged. Another thing the Spice article says, apparently resentful at civilization itself, preppers seem liberated by the idea of living in a state of hostile isolation. This article clearly has a particular take on this. Mm -hmm. immediately abandoning all social obligations is the preppers first response to almost any threat their imaginations are able to conjure solitude removes the need to repress antisocial behavior leaving them free to explore their own stockpile of deviant impulses wander the darkest corners of their psyche in many ways doomsday thinking makes possible the expression of a truly free psychopathology one of the guys who was in the show a season two prepper that they highlighted he said, there's a very thin fabric that holds together civilized society. And this article talks about the irony is that prepping can only ever erode the fabric of which he speaks. It's a way of draining resources, individualizing shared problems. Fantasizing about our neighbors becoming a threatening mob would only really be useful if we were preparing to attack them. Such dehumanization ultimately unpicks the social contract that holds us together. Hmm. That's dark as fuck. I know. There was a really long article that I will link in the notes, but I didn't read it. I read just part of it. That was really highlighting a particular couple people who I think went way down the prepper rabbit hole.
0: But also playing on others' emotions for their own personal gain. Yeah.
1: But one of the things that caught my eye at the very beginning of the article, and I believe it was talking about well before COVID, is that someone had purchased 2 million N95 masks. Mm -hmm. A regular person.
0: Well, I think it was not a hospital. It was the same person that was outfitting these bunkers, basically. He was sort of selling a product like, you're nervous but you're not a prepper and you're behind. So give me, I don't remember what it was like $200,000 and you can be in one of these bunkers. You know, he collected all this money from all these different people. And then when nothing happened, he ended up like getting sued by some of them or whatever. And it kind of started to fall apart. But yeah. Well,
1: and it's the same, like, it's like ticket scalping. I'm going to buy up all the Taylor Swift tickets and Mm -hmm. then sell them back to people at a premium because I can't
0: providing a service basically is how he approached it. Like, Sure.
1: But if you
0: have money, you don't know the best way to go about this. You feel a sense of urgency about it. I can be your solution.
1: I guess all you
0: have to do is write a check and it's all taken care of.
1: But if then he's hoarding all of those products and the things that regular people will need, and only the people with money can then access them. Right. That's super fucked.
0: Right. I think it's a play on people's emotions. And what else has happened in our society is that people want things right now, right away. And it's like, I will ease your anxiety, instead of you having to spend years stockpiling shit and researching the most effective way to do all this. Just write me a check and I'll do it for you.
1: Yeah which I appreciate that that they're outsourcing for sure which pretty, in and
0: yeah. of itself is pretty fucking ironic
1: yeah <laughs> randomly this evening I saw a thing on Instagram that said back in my day there was so much toilet paper and eggs that we would throw them at the houses of our enemies <laughs> <laughs> I never once egged anybody's house but I did TP I'm pretty sure I did both yeah I was mentioning to someone that we were going to do this episode, and he was like, have you heard about the Adam and Eve story? And I was like, what?
0: <laughs> You're like, you mean the one <laughs> the that one everyone the knows?
1: <laughs> He's like, this is wild, and he sent me a link to this YouTube video. Yeah, I watched about half that, and I was like, is this guy trying to be funny? What's going on? So it's a show on YouTube. It's called The Why Files, W-H-Y. It seems like, because I looked into like, what is this source? You know, who are these people? Mm -hmm. And it says The Wi Files is a channel for people who are fascinated parenthetically obsessed with science science fiction bizarre history weird facts strange places conspiracies and unusual people he's certainly an unusual person yes join (laughs) us as we learn about the mysteries of the universe and have a few laughs along the way so there's like a talking
0: fish that talks to him yeah and it has like a big tinfoil hat on his fishbowl well that
1: yeah they do a lot of things where they look into some of these conspiracies and I haven't watched any other episodes of it. I did watch this one in its entirety. And it did seem very balanced to me in terms of perspective. It wasn't like he very much believed in this thing or did not and was presenting some agenda, you know? okay. What this is about is a former McDonnell Douglas engineer named Dr. Chan Thomas. In 1966, he released a book called The Adam and Eve Story, The History of Cataclysms. Catechism? No, that's Catholic Church. Like a cataclysmic event that's very
0: bad. Mm -hmm. My Catholicism, Mm -hmm. former Catholicism, shined through there for a moment.
1: Yes, yes. It says, before anyone could read it, it was classified by the CIA. If you listen to the people who have all the conspiracy theories about this, they will say that we only learned of its existence a few years ago because of a Freedom of Information request. And then the CIA only released 57 pages of it, but it was originally a 284-page manuscript. And those pages in the CIA's own words have been, quote, sanitized. Now, that's not true. <laughs> it was actually a 57 page document or book, whatever. Other copies of it were in existence. So mm-hmm. it's not like nobody had seen it or knew anything about it. Mm-hmm. But what it talks about, let's see if I can shrink this down to little bite sized nuggets. Um, it says that he presents evidence of a coming shift in the Earth's poles. That creates a cataclysm and these pole shifts are cyclical. So on regular intervals, which he's saying are, I think, roughly every 6,000 years, they create these disasters that wipe out almost all of human life. And so whoever's left starts over again, basically in a stone age. Weird. Right? There's mass extinction. And they go into all the science of what would happen to the Earth if poles were shifting and stuff. And it talks about in how... In 56 pages?
0: No, no, in the video. Oh, okay. You don't have to read that. <laughs> that seems pretty
1: short for that much detail. Yeah. The video is fascinating, actually. And I truly Did don't you know what I Did you find yourself starting to believe? No, I... Um... They present a lot of compelling science, basically saying that there's what looks like erosion that can only be from water, like at the base of the Sphinx and the pyramids and that kind of stuff. But according to the timeline that we all think there shouldn't have been any water anywhere near that in those thousands of years. So maybe they were built long before we think they were. And therefore, you know, there's all this stuff. How close are we to the 6,000 year mark? Well, (laughs) now here's what
0: you're not going to like is (laughs) that
1: we're overdue.
0: Oh. Yeah. So basically another prediction
1: that hasn't come true. It talks about all these different massive floods, like thousand foot deep flood. Like waters. Noah's Ark? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sounds I mean, familiar. Yeah, but there's all these flood myths throughout all these different cultures. And they're saying that the continents used to even be in different... Did he talk about Pangaea? He did. But then there's like all these different supercontinents before that that I didn't know about. <laughs> and apparently there's talk of continents that don't even exist anymore. One that connected Hawaii and Easter Island. Because think about Easter Island for a minute. That's some weird shit. Okay. There's all these statues that are like just the heads above the ground. Mm -hmm. But they've dug down and the statues have full bodies way Mm -hmm. down into the ground. Mm -hmm. So either somebody dug giant holes, built giant statues, and then covered them up to their necks. Seems unlikely. Right. Or there was some massive geological event that covered most of those statues in land somehow. Seems possible. Right. So I don't know. I appreciated that he went into debunking the conspiracy theory aspect of it with the like, CIA is hiding things from us and the the book's more pages than this and whatever. I I don't know. It's interesting. I certainly don't think we're looking at a giant flood tomorrow or anything, but. Michelle's going to Costco tomorrow. (laughs) She's going to
0: load up on (laughs) beans and corn and.
1: (laughs) Did you ever put together a bin of stuff when they were talking about like the big earthquake is coming well, in Seattle, you're talking about the big one, right? We're mm-hmm. we're also overdue
0: from or this like yeah. massive earthquake because we're like built on a fault line that we're. They've supposed been to have. saying
1: that since I was in elementary school, and we've had some since then, but not like the big one. And right. so every year, I'm like, and is this the year? And there's sort of a cottage industry that's popped
0: up of people that are selling earthquake preparedness kits to people and retrofitting buildings that were constructed before. Well, that's just smart. Yeah, I know. I'm just <laughs> saying that it's a consistent topic murmur, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, around here it is. yeah. And no, I have not. Um The only thing that I've ever done even close to that is make sure I have like first aid kits in my car. Yeah. And not currently, but in the past, when I lived in a colder environment, I always made sure I had like a blanket in there and stuff yeah. like that chains in my car, you know, for my vehicle. But no, I, I haven't leaned into the earthquake preparedness that so many people have here yeah. in Seattle. A few years ago. There um, was like a big article on the yeah, front page of the Seattle Times. Exactly. And they were basically like, it's coming. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Scaring the always, shit out of people.
1: They always say that. I do think it's inevitable. I don't know that it's going to be soon. Well, but that's the thing is that nobody knows well, for sure.
0: Right. I mean, when it is imminent you know, like with storms or volcano erupting or whatever that I think that there's enough sophistication that they know, usually like pretty close, like get out evacuate. Yeah. But earthquakes are a little harder. I mean, I guess if we're feeling like a lot of tremors leading up to it, maybe yeah. not I don't scientifically really, versed in that.
1: Yeah, I don't really know how it all works. But I always have told myself anyway, that when we have small ones, it's like letting off pressure. And so it is taking away from the big one or putting it off, you know? Not that it's like a warning. Yeah. Because we have little ones all the time. Like that just happens. The faults are always moving. So there are little ones constantly. But yeah, when that article came out, whenever that was five or six years ago, I definitely was like, oh, I should have something and so I've got one Rubbermaid tote bin thing that's got some toilet paper and a couple little tools. And I even bought like a hand crank radio that the kids just like to turn the alarm on and make it loud and obnoxious. <laughs> um, I think I even bought some like, Not MREs, but like some food that would last for a really long time that I'm sure has expired by now. So (laughs) I don't know. I can't even get to the bin. It's got everything else in my closet in front of it. If there was an earthquake and my house was collapsing, I wouldn't be able to get to this bin anyway. You wouldn't be like, get the bin! No, I literally wouldn't be able to get to it. It would be completely covered in crap. So
0: What's more important is living first, like knowing where you're supposed to go
1: and surviving that earthquake. And then figure out how you're gonna eat yeah the world stops shaking (laughs) right and then you have a bunch of rubble and then what if i could move some rubble aside and find my bin then i will and if i have to eat expired food that's fine same i mean sometimes i do that anyway because i'm like yeah not like by years though uh, no
0: (laughs) i don't know if it was like canned or something you'd probably still go for it it's fine yeah do you think if you grew up in an environment where there was this rhetoric all the time
1: of having an earthquake
0: No, 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 just like any kind of like Uh doomsday type prophecy. Do you think that it would mess with your mental health to a point where, I mean, it's kind of like the brainwashing of religion, right? Like if you are told something is, something is, something is, something is, as you're like maturing and your brain is developing, it's
1: hard to shake loose from that, right? Yeah, like we were saying before about the biases. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I think it would be really hard to overcome that.
0: Because even having this conversation, I guess I'm not as concerned about some of these possibilities and others, but it makes you a little uneasy if you think for too long about another scarier pandemic or the big earthquake or all these things. If you ruminate on it for too long, then it gets unhealthy.
1: Absolutely. You know, we always talk about how when things are out of your control, they're a lot scarier, right? So people have this anxiety and then you have this need to control things to quell their anxiety. Right. And you can't control any of that.
0: Well, yeah. And I I think that putting together a bunker or a preparedness kit or whatever is some kind of action item yeah. that makes you feel like you're doing something i'm doing what i can right and yeah. so it's a thing that you can control mm-hmm. it's a way to control that unknown that you exactly can't prevent in your mind from happening
1: i have two other things i would like to bring up okay bring them up. do you know about the doomsday clock
0: I did not until we were researching this, Mm -hmm. but I only know when the announcement is supposed to be and who's going
1: to make it, but I don't really know the story behind it. Okay. So I had heard the phrase doomsday clock, but I didn't really understand what it was. And it's a scientific thing that I feel like I can get behind. Okay, And knowing how much you hate climate change, Mm -hmm. I feel like you can get behind this too. Okay. So again, this is a Wikipedia entry. It says the doomsday clock is a symbol that represents the likelihood of a man-made global catastrophe in the opinion of the members of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. Okay. So that is a nonprofit organization concerning science and global security issues resulting from accelerating technological advances that have negative consequences for humanity. This began in 1947, and the clock is a metaphor for threats to humanity from unchecked advances. The hypothetical global catastrophe is represented by midnight on a clock, with the bulletin's opinion on how close the world is to one represented by a certain number of minutes or seconds to midnight, which is assessed in January of each year. Now, I tried really hard to find one minute equals what? So Mm -hmm. when they started it in 1947, they set it at seven minutes to midnight, saying that whatever the threat was at that point was serious enough to be considered this far away from total catastrophe i couldn't find anywhere like one minute equals this much time okay right it's just symbolic since it first started it's gone up and down up and down right now our current one was set in january of 2020 at 100 seconds to midnight Jesus. Uh Uh-huh. And that has remained (laughs) unchanged since. But
0: there's another announcement coming up, right? Yes. Less than 10 days away. It said January 24th, 2023. Okay. At 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.
1: Okay. They didn't change it in 2021 or 22. Mm -hmm. So maybe it'll change now. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that mid-COVID, it didn't change. The Bulletin's executive chairman in 2020 said that they... Place it at 100 seconds before midnight because the dangerous rivalry and hostility among the superpowers increases the likelihood of nuclear blunder and climate change just compounds the crisis. There's been some criticism of this. They're saying that, like, it's not specific time-wise, obviously, Mm -hmm. because it's metaphorical. Here's a quote from Slate that says, putting humanity on a permanent blanket high alert isn't helpful when it comes to policy or science. It's just like a scare tactic. Yeah, Yeah, that's fair. Right? But they argue that it's it's not intended to to make people fearful, but rather to spur action to say, like, this is a threat we should be paying attention to. It's a bigger threat than we thought of 10 years ago or whatever, because the the number of minutes keeps changing Mm -hmm. up and down. Mm -hmm. The highest it's ever been is 17 minutes from midnight. The interesting thing, though, is I didn't even know about this until we were researched.
0: So, like, who is the audience that knows and gets worked up by this. Is it people that doomsday prep? Maybe.
1: And the scientific community certainly would know about it. Yeah. Huh. Well, lastly, I would like to talk about all of the times that The Simpsons predicted the future. <laughs> which apparently as you in, did not know about.
0: Yeah, right. As in the yellow cartoon family. Correct. <laughs> yes. Is there. that show still on, by the way? Yeah. Like, are they doing new episodes? Yes. And- I would really aspire to voice a character on an animated episode like fucking SpongeBob. That guy has set himself up for life. You know how oh, yeah. long SpongeBob has been on? Not nearly as long as The Simpsons. Well,
1: The Simpsons fuck started man. in like 1989, I believe. Are you serious? Yes. It started as an animated short on the Tracy Ullman show. There's got to be some characters that are getting ready to retire.
0: I'd like to throw my name in the hat to voice a character. Yeah, a totally. I feel like we could be good
1: voice actors. Totally. <laughs> but there are these incredible lists of shit that they got right. It's crazy. So this is, I found this list of 30 times that they successfully predicted the future. It's from the Hollywood Reporter. I'm not going to read them all because it's ridiculously long. But things like Donald Trump becoming president. <laughs> as specific as him writing down that fucking escalator, like the video footage of him on the escalator, they did that before. Ew. They correctly have predicted Super Bowl winners, Disney buying 20th Century Fox, smartwatches and autocorrect, FIFA's corruption scandal and World Cup results, Siegfried and Roy Tiger attack, oh. the Higgs boson particle, Ebola outbreak, NSA spying scandal. I don't know how Matt Groening does it. <laughs> Matt Groening, are you psychic? Mm. What's happening?
0: I mean, some of that stuff is kind of like two people who work with tigers and then predict (laughs) that someday one of them might get attacked by a tiger. Right.
1: I'm not saying they're all completely mind-blowing, but like some of them kind of But when
0: you add it all up, it's like, wow, they've gotten a lot of this shit right, Mm -hmm. just being satirical and... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. (laughs) Michelle has... Instead of dropping the mic, she has dropped her last page of notes with a lot of finesse. That's right.
1: Yeah. So I learned a lot today because I had never really thought much about this topic or certainly not looked
0: into it. Yeah, me too. I need to process a little bit, but I'm not sure if I feel differently about it than I did before. I'm not sure I do either. And I'm not sure, like I said a few minutes ago, that I think it's entirely healthy to dig really far into a lot of this stuff. No, I have some concern that people that are vulnerable, that are looking for answers in life in Mm -hmm. general, might be taken advantage of by people that are preparing for some apocalyptic situation.
1: Not even taken advantage of by other people, but just fall victim to the mentality.
0: Well, right. But it's people that create the mentality. So, yeah. I mean, that ship has sailed. It's a chicken and an egg thing, kind of. Oh, And we're back. We've circled back to eggs that predict the coming of Christ.
1: Oh, the prophet hen of leaves. I hope you (laughs) escaped that horrible farmer and lived a long, Christless life. (laughs) She's like fuck you guys yeah this is some
0: bullshit farmer joe how ironic that she was being assaulted in order to falsely predict the coming of christ i can't think of any other time that those folks who believe in religion have assaulted
1: in the name of vulnerable helpless parties never no that's a big rabbit hole we could go down
0: sure is sure is not today (laughs) that's another thing that's harmful if you go too far yeah I feel like we might need to go watch an episode of Doomsday Preppers. I think we do. I'm quite curious now. I'll tell you what. If I were to ever build a bunker, there would be so many fucking bottles of Prosecco in there.
1: You know, <laughs> it just occurred to me we've definitely talked about TV and Prosecco bunkers before, and I don't know in what context. I
0: don't know, but my bunker would probably be like someone's old wine cellar,
1: basically.
0: Great. I would be like, if you leave the wine, mm-hmm. this is perfect for me.
1: I'm just going to bury a shipping container in my backyard yard and put some seating in Uh, yeah maybe a bed yeah and some wine racks and call it good we'll be there Good will offer for you
0: i mean that is not a bad end of the world no we just really got to stock up it's kind of like the the guys who played the uh, classical music on the titanic as it was going down yes we're gonna be popping bottles (laughs) as
1: it's going down we make music with those corks (laughs) oh god wait real quick what's the name of that movie that you couldn't believe i made you watch that i didn't know that it was going to be scary for you is it called the end of the world oh for fuck's sake (sighs) what is that called the one with like it's like everybody and james franco they're all playing themselves this is the end this is the end that's That's what what it's called. yeah that was so funny for those who haven't seen it there are some definite jump scare moments megan was very mad at me but also, it's fucking hilarious, <laughs> and you should watch it.
0: I mean, it's not scary like the new Megan movie probably is.
1: Ooh, are we going to go see that?
0: No. <laughs> so many people have texted me I'm about sure it. I'm sure they have. But I just, I don't like a jump scare, and yeah. there's so many jump scares in it. So be careful. But forewarned. it's like a
1: ridiculously not possible fire demon.
0: I will say, it. even though I was scared, I did like A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place too. Well, yes,
1: those are great. More into the world shit. There's a lot of those apocalyptic, dystopian, and I movies. did like
0: Greenland, even though it stressed me out. I never saw that one. It's stressful. It's I like remember a, you
1: watched that at the beginning of the pandemic. It's more wore. like a
0: thriller. That and um songbird yeah which is a michael bay movie that's basically about the pandemic that he released during the pandemic i'm yeah. not sure who all he was trying to fuck with there but some people
1: know. are gluttons for punishment man or just capitalizing
0: on the current <laughs> situation yeah
1: um okay we are gonna let you know that you can find us online at prosecco theory.com and on instagram at prosecco theory and rate and review and subscribe follow us wherever you listen Tell and us what we're you love. creeping up on 25,000 downloads. So. Yeah, we had a, a nice little bump at the beginning of the year in listenership. So thanks, folks. We're happy you're here. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to the party. <laughs> Even if it's in a bunker, we'll be there. Could
0: you imagine? We're still doing the
1: podcast. <laughs> <laughs> on my hand crank radio.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and it would be like, oh, we got two listeners. <laughs> I think we need to call it. Okay, fine. All right. <laughs> Cheers, Cheers. Oh, oh,